I'd like to have you turn to Amos chapter 7. Now, it's been a long time since we've been in Amos, so uh, I want to actually read verses 1 through 9 as we begin, because that's the last time we were in Amos. And we looked at the first nine verses. I'm just going to read them and then kind of uh, give a little uh, review on where we were a few weeks ago. Amos chapter 7, let's begin in verse 1. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me. And behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this, it shall not be, saith the Lord. And thus hath the Lord God showed unto me. And behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire. And it devoured the great deep and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. Now being that it's been too long since our last study in this passage of Amos that I just read, let's just do a quick review and an overview of where we've been and where we're headed. I had mentioned last time that in the last three chapters of this prophecy, chapter 7, 8, and 9. The Lord gives five significant visions that pertain to the judgment of the northern kingdom of Israel that Amos, as his prophet, would proclaim to the people. There is a judgment of locusts. We read grasshoppers, but it's locusts. A judgment of locusts, a judgment by fire, a judgment involving a plumb line, another judgment describing a basket of fruit, that we'll see in the next uh, chapter. And the last being that of a destroyed temple. Now one very distinct difference that is found at the end of the last chapter, that is chapter 9, which we haven't got to but we will soon. But one very distinct difference that's found in the end of the last chapter is that the Lord concludes the prophecy of Amos with a great promise of a future glorious kingdom. 
which tells us one major thing. God is not done with Israel yet. God is not finished with Israel at all. He is still dealing with them. He will still deal with them up until the very end, but they will be redeemed. Now, all that said, Amos struggled with the Lord and with his Jewish brethren, the very beings that he loved. I mean, he loved God, of course. He loved the Lord with all of his heart and all of his mind and strength, but he also loved his nation. Now, when I say that, you have to understand that he loved the nation of Israel as a whole. In other words, all of Israel from north to south. Sadly, though, there was a divided kingdom. There was a kingdom in the south called the kingdom of Judah, and the kingdom of the north was called the kingdom of Israel. It's oftentimes referred to as Ephraim, but it was Israel. And the saddest part of all of this is that in the south, there were good kings and bad kings. But in the northern kingdom, they were all bad. There was Jeroboam I, many years before all of this, that went north, uh, established a, uh, a home base in Samaria, placed two locations in the north, Bethel in the south part of the north, and Dan in the northern part of the northern kingdom, two places where the people could go and worship golden calves. So the whole of, of the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, was all about idolatry. It was all about worshiping God the way they wanted to worship God, not the way that God had prescribed for them to worship in Jerusalem at his temple, where he said, this is my city, Zion, and this is where I want to meet with you. So them leaving, saying, you know, well, we're, we're going to have our own place, our own way. Makes us think about a lot of churches today that are going their own way and not wanting to do what the Word of God says, but doing what they want to do. But Amos loved the Lord with all of his heart, but he loved his nation no matter how divided they were. And trusting completely in the sovereignty of the Lord God, Amos commits to praying and he begins to intercede on his people's behalf as the Lord is now responding with these judgments. After the judgment of the locusts, this is what, what happened, in, uh, going back to verses 2 and 3. It came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee. In other words, Lord, forgive these people for what they're doing. By whom shall Jacob arise? I mean, who's, who's going you know, to bless them if it isn't you? Everybody else would rather destroy them. And they're small, he says. The Lord repented for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. So the Lord held back that judgment. And then when there was the judgment of fire in Amos 7, verses 5 and 6, it said, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. And again it said, The Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord. So aside from what we learn about intercessory prayer in this passage, as we did in our last in our last study in chapter 7, we, we also learn about the unchanging character of the justice of God. Judgment is turned back temporarily, as he did with the locusts and the fire, 
And yet judgment will still be required. Judgment for the breaking of the law is still going to be required. And unless the Lord had mercy on the northern kingdom of Israel, they would have no chance for survival. Now we must be careful not to consider that the Lord, by relenting or repenting as it says, and I explained this of course last time, but we must be careful not to consider that the Lord had made a mistake and had to change his mind. No. What it does mean is that he maintains his intentions but changes his way of working. Don't forget that he always gave an opportunity for them to repent. There was always a door of repentance that he made available. Now, as for the vision of the plumb line, the Lord was checking to see if the people were straight and in line. But, of course, they weren't. The plumb line was a symbol of God's word. And what was discovered amounted to disobedience and self-absorbed building or or being self-absorbed and building their lives on a pattern other than God's word. They were more focused on what they wanted or what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it, what they wanted to do, but they weren't at all concerned about the, the pattern that God had given them in the word and in the law. It had gotten so bad that they were to be destroyed as a nation. The people had despised the word of God. They would have no right to complain when they were judged according to their ways and their neglect of following after God's laws. Why? Because they were given every opportunity to turn. They were given every opportunity to repent. They were given every opportunity to turn from their wicked ways. But they didn't do it. And they continued to maintain the way that they thought for themselves was the best. That gets a lot of us still in trouble today. So now it is possible that Amos was preaching this message in the temple at Bethel, the place in the southern part of the northern kingdom where they worshiped the golden calf. And so it's possible that Amos was there giving this particular message for when the high priest Amaziah heard Amos predict the destruction of the nation, he began to oppose God's servant and prophet. And this is what we find now in, the, in our text for this evening, verses 10 and 11. It says that Amaziah, the prince, or I'm sorry, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Now remember, this is Jeroboam the second, not Jeroboam the first. So he sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith. Now listen, this is a high priest who is a false priest and he is reporting to the king who is a false king, by the way, because he has no connection to the line of David. So he's saying this to this king. For thus Amos saith. He's saying, this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam shall die by the sword. Now let me ask you this. Did any of you read that in verses 1 through through 9? Oh, this isn't a vote here. I hope that you read it with me. Uh, No, it doesn't say that. It never says that. That Jeroboam shall die by the sword. And then he says another statement. 
Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. It doesn't say that either. So there's a little twisting of what Amos said. You would think now that uh, in our day and time, we would also be very accurate in what people say. But I'm finding now, that I'm, as I'm looking at the political landscape today, that they're putting words in other people's mouths. So this is nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, I don't want to get into the politics quite yet. So Amaziah quickly wrote a letter to King Jeroboam accusing Amos of preaching conspiracy against the government, making two charges against the prophet. First, he charged Amos with preaching a conspiracy by predicting the, predicting the death of the king. And second, he charged Amos with predicting that Israel would be conquered in the survivor's exile. Amaziah obviously felt strongly that Amos and his message of judgment had to be silenced. Now, whether or not the high priest waited for a response from the king is not known. It seems, though, that he immediately confronted Amos. Look at verses 12 and 13 now. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, O you visionary, is what he's calling him, as if he's counting on his own visions and dreams. Uh, yeah, he's kind of knocking him with this statement. O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah. In other words, go back home. And there eat bread and prophesy there. There's a little bit of an implied reference to the fact that he says, why don't you, you know, you're just trying to make money you're just trying to, you know, make your own bread here. So why don't you just go and eat your own bread over there? But prophesy not again anymore at Bethel. For it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. Which is, a, again, a, another significant statement that says, you know, we, this is not God's place. This is the king's place. Uh, we, we can probably worship any gods here, but, we, you know, we, but, but this isn't God's place. This is, this is actually the king's chapel. So Amaziah ordered Amos to get out of the temple, to leave Israel, to go back home to Judah. He insisted that Amos no longer preach at Bethel, the major worship center in the nation. In fact, it was the very sanctuary where the king and, its, and his government officials attended, which brings up an interesting question. Why didn't the king himself bother to go hear the prophet Amos himself? You know, if the king was really concerned about the country and the nation, and that a prophet of God had come to tell them stuff, that he should actually be there to listen. But obviously he wasn't there. Yet if he had gone, it would have done him good to listen and to obey. But Jeroboam II was certainly very, very comfortable. He was very complacent. And he wasn't about to have some visiting farmer tell him what to do. So the words of the high priest Amaziah, and again, I want to mention a false priest to say the least. The words of Amaziah to Amos reveal the wicked attitudes in his heart. 
As I said, he called Amos a seer or a visionary. His claim was that there was no legitimacy to the prophet's message. There was no legitimacy. That's a word bandied about today in, polit- in, in the political realm. Legitimacy. His claim was that there was no legitimacy in the, to the prophet's message and that he was dreaming it all up. He then suggested that Amos was only interested in earning bread, as I said before. All of this followed the, fall, the false accusation in verse 11 that Amos had said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. The fact is, Amos predicted the fall of Jeroboam's house by the sword. Not Jeroboam himself, but the house of Jeroboam by the sword. He then took Amos' words out of context and accused the prophet of saying, Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. And again, I, I urge you, just reread the first nine verses of this chapter. Because this baseless charge of treason would conclude with the alarming word that revolution, subversion, or treason might result from the prophet's words. But this can be considered, and I want you to pay attention here because I'm going to go into some supporting references in the Old Testament as well as in the New. But what is being done here, what, 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 this prophet, what this priest is saying to the prophet, what this false priest is saying to the true prophet of God, can be considered as an unintentional testimony to the power of God's word. Now listen carefully. It is considered an unintentional testimony to the power of God's word when it comes to conviction or correction. When it comes to conviction or correction. What I mean by that is this. Let's, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18 verses 17 and 18. Here is a an exchange between King Ahab and Elijah the prophet. Again, a very similar uh, picture here. It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah. Ahab, a bad king? Yes, very bad king. Elijah, the true prophet of God. So it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Art thou he that troubleth Israel? That is an unintentional testimony of the power of God. If he was just another Joe out there or, you know, or Josephus, then it would be nothing. Just don't listen to this guy. But Ahab knew better. He knew that Elijah was a prophet of God. But he didn't believe him. Didn't care about him. Didn't care for him. Didn't care about his message, obviously. But notice what he says. Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Well, how can he best trouble Israel if he doesn't come in the power of God? And then he says, and then he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house. You're the one that troubles Israel. 
in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and thou hast followed Baalim or Balaam. So you see then there is an unintentional testimony of the power of God. Are you the one that troubles Israel? And Elijah says, oh, are you kidding? You're the one. You're, you trouble Israel because of your disobedience. You trouble Israel because of your rebellion against God. Jeremiah 37. And once again, consider what I mentioned as an unintentional testimony. Jeremiah 37, verses 13 through 15. And when he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the ward was there whose name was Iria. Iria, there's no J really in Hebrew, so it's Iria, the son of Shalamiah, the son of Hananiah. He took Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Thou fallest away to the Chaldeans. Then said Jeremiah, It is false. I fall not away to the Chaldeans, but he hearkened not unto him. So Idea took Jeremiah and brought him to the princes, wherefore the princes were wroth with Jeremiah and smote him and put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. The situation here is, is somewhat similar in that uh, they're accusing Jeremiah the prophet of having fallen away to the Chaldeans in the sense of, of uh, trend, uh, uh, conspiring against them. He says, you he hearkened not to him, so they took him and they brought him to the princes and they beat him up. Why? Because of the power of God, the power of God's word. They were giving some unintentional testimony. One of the greater uh, examples of that in the New Testament is Jesus before Pilate. In John chapter 19, verses 10 through 12, Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? And Jesus answered, Thou couldst, not, thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivereth me unto thee has the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, Now listen to what they did. The Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Well, what were they doing? Pilate was ready to release Jesus. He committed no crime. He committed no sin. But the Jews who were completely and totally against Jesus not wanting to accept the fact that he was truly Messiah by everything he said, everything he did, everything that he revealed by his presence. And then they make themselves hypocrites by saying, whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. They were against Caesar. Now they borrowed Caesar for a while for their own because they knew the power of God in Christ. They gave an unintentional testimony to the power of God. It happened as well during the time of the apostles, or the disciples, I should say, before that in John 11, when there was this word given in the council of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, 
In John 11, verses 47 through 52, then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. The Romans shall come and take away both our place and, and nation. And they were worried. Well, what had Jesus done? What was, what, was so, what was bringing them so much together about this whole issue that, that was, was happening there in, in, uh, in John chapter 11? I think we can all remember pretty clearly what happened there. Right before this little council. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. The power of God. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, you know nothing at all. Now you got to understand something. Caiaphas is now speaking as a high priest. As a real high priest of that time. Being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient or beneficial for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. He gave an unintentional testimony of the power of God in the death of Jesus Christ. The same would happen for Paul in Acts 17 verses 1 through 7. When now being in Thessalonica, it says when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Yeshua, this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and, they, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, saying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Who were they talking about? They were talking about the believers in Jesus Christ who were turning the world upside down, turning their world upside down, turning their worldview upside down because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were giving unintentional testimony to the power of God. And whom Jason has received, it says, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is, only, there is another king, one, Jesus. 
That's giving complete testimony. You could ignore it. Or you can get frustrated by it and then give testimony to its power. That's what they did. From the Old to the New Testament. Does it take place continually today? Yes, it does. They don't realize they're giving testimony to the power of God when they come against the church. The true church of Jesus Christ. The church that believes in the power of God. The church that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. The church that believes in the power of the Word of God. The church that believes in the power that God has given into the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. To go forth and to preach the gospel to all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's the power of God. And that's being attacked each and every day of our lives until Jesus comes. And that kind of of situation is going to continue on and on until the Lord comes for his church. And so it was absolutely necessary then that Amos be silenced. It was necessary that Amos would be taken out of the way. He was troubling their Israel. Not God's Israel, their Israel. No message of judgment should be preached from the king's pulpit like this. Especially a message that predicted the end of the king's dynasty and the destruction of the nation. Is it any wonder that this prophecy has has foreseen to some extent what is taking place in the world today, generally speaking? In respect to the silencing of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And specifically in our country today, from the political landscape to the religious horizon, are we not seeing this take place? Why would some churches today rather follow the politics and religious sensitivities of a Christ-hating world than hold fast to the truths of Almighty God and His His inerrant Word and His focus upon the Lordship, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. But they're not doing that. Any church that allows Muslims to come and explain their own faith, or Buddhists to come and explain their philosophies of of meditation, and so on, or as casual as letting... uh, the, the Hindu practice of yoga take place uh, in churches today, which is, by the way, and I mentioned this, demonic, because if you ever study yoga, you realize that the center to that whole idea of, of, of yoga has to do with uh, kundalini spirit, a spirit of a demon uh, uh, serpent that is wrapped around, you know, the spinal cord of, a, of every person, So they say. Isn't that crazy? And they've gone to the, the they've gone to the extent of saying, "Oh, we have Christian yoga." That's like saying we have Christian demonism. Is that what we have? I guess that's what they have, but we don't. Listen, we're either in light or we're in darkness. And the northern kingdom of Israel was very, very dark. In fact, there was no light there. 
Were there, was there a remnant? Probably so. Probably so. But it might not have been a very big remnant. Because remnants are not big. Remnants are like pieces of cloth off of a bigger piece of cloth. I think that's what they call certain little pieces of carpet after they've set in the whole, oh, we've got carpet remnants here. You can't do a whole house with a remnant. Except in God's plan and in God's eyes. Is it any wonder that Paul would warn Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in Paul's last letter to the church, really, to all of us, but, but actually the statement that he was making to Timothy was, this know also, verses 1 through 7, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I, 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 didn't, I never expected that the times we're living in today are as perilous as they are. They're, they're more perilous than they've ever been. There have been perilous times, don't, don't get me wrong. There have been perilous times in the last century and a half, maybe the last two centuries, in, in different ways. Or else you could say that the seeds of, of perilous times were, were planted back then. They were planted, of course, in the last days, which we know to be since the time of the apostles. The last days began with the church. And they've continued, but the seed has been small. And we've seen a lot of perversion of the, of the church through many, many centuries of trying to make it as a world power rather than let it be a kingdom power come from heaven. So, you know, we had all kinds of historical things happen and now people are, 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 are twisting, twisting history to make it sound as if, if Christianity is of, of, of no good and no value because... You know, all that's ever been is about, uh, you know, what, what, whatever the, Roman, the Holy Roman Empire had become or, or, or you know, uh, all of these crusades that were out there fighting and battling for the city of Jerusalem and all. Uh, you know, it could go on and on and on. But there's nothing more perilous than the times that we're living in today because for a number of reasons. The, uh, you know, the technology that we see that's happening today. And, and it's not just the technology that you and I can use. I mean, we use it, and I pray that we use it for the gospel, that we use it for God's glory. And it can be used for God's glory. And I thank the Lord that he's allowed that to happen. But there are a lot of other reasons that are, that are happening. There are a lot of other things that are happening that we have to see is perilous. You know, have you heard this talk about AI, about artificial intelligence, and about how man is, is making machines that are are they thinking quicker and faster and better than man himself? Which is a contradiction of the scriptures anyway. Because all you're doing is putting yourself into the, the machines themselves. But eventually the mach machines are going to, to be used in, in, in various ways to, to actually go against the, 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 the ways of God, the means of God, the, the things of God. The way he designed things to be. Why is it the man continues to have their minds set on, on science fiction and, 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 you know, getting us into, you know, some realm of understanding that we can get beyond, you know, the, the obvious, uh, uh, you know, uh, sins of, 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 of mankind that, you know, we're destroying the earth. Now we've got 15-year-old kids going to the United Nations and saying, how dare you? 
that poor girl that, yeah, how many of you know what I'm talking about, you know? Okay. That, that poor girl was, was, was brainwashed. Brainwashed. By secular humanisms. Brainwashed. By socialist, communistic, progressive, liberal thinkers. I feel sorry for her. What she needs to know is Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that one day she'll know who Christ is. But it's hard to tell when she's been put into this position. No 15-year-old child should be put into that kind of position. It's insane. But that's the kind of world we're living in today. It's an insane world. These are perilous times. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. There's a lot of that going around today. No natural affection, no, no affection for the hurts and the pains of others. There are young people committing crimes today without any remorse whatsoever in their heart. Not sorry for anything that they've done. It's sad to hear this little phrase that I think they even have it on a, on a Reese's Pieces commercial or something, you know, sorry, not sorry. That reveals it all, doesn't it? You can say you're sorry, but you're not really sorry in here. What does this world come to? Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers. Wow, that's false accusers. You just turn on the news. That's going on every minute in Washington. Incontinent. In other words, no control. No control. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The power of God to save sinners. The power of God to deliver. To deliver the possessed or the oppressed. Paul says, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses. That happens every day once you turn on that big screen. Creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins. Thank the Lord that the word of God is not PC. But that was the problem in Paul's time. Could very well be the problem in ours. 
led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let me be somewhat corrective here, but saying that there, there are a lot of silly men too. A lot of silly men with silly ideas. It's interesting that the word silly is here. But there's a silliness going on today. And the enemy uses all of that to attack the mind and the heart. Not just of the unbeliever, but of the believer as well. Before all of that, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-3, through 3, Paul said to Timothy this, as a young pastor now, uh, as Timothy was going out to be a, the pastor of, of the church in Ephesus, he says, Now the Spirit speaketh, speaketh expressly, expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We've talked about some of those already. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having, not, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Wow. Abstain from meats. Sounds like the Green New Deal to me. Let's get back to Amos before I start getting upset. I'm not upset. I am just kind of focused here. But getting back to Amos, he was not about to be stopped. Amos could not be stopped. Why? Because he didn't go by what man says. He went by what God wanted him to do. What God had told him to do. For he knew that he had truly been called by God. In verses seven, uh, going back to Amos 7, verses 14 and 15 now, then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet. Want to talk about somebody that's honest here? I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. I didn't come from a line of prophets. But I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. I was a rancher and I was a farmer. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. I heard the voice of God and God sent me and I came. And knowing that God's word predicted the coming judgment upon all sinners who refused to repent, Amos answered the false high priest Amaziah with his own personal testimony. Sometimes that's all we've got, but that's what we have to give. Our own personal testimony of how God has spoken to my heart, how God has led me, how God has called me, and how God has given me the wherewithal, the gifts and the talents to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In a very straightforward manner, Amos informed the priest that he was not a professional prophet, but rather a layman. Like all of us. Just who love Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to see Jesus honored and glorified. We want to see Jesus praised and lifted up. Yes, Amos was a rancher and a farmer when the Lord had called him. And the Lord did give him clear instruction to leave his business and to go proclaim God's word to his people Israel. 
I have seen that happen in this church. I saw it many years ago when Pastor Fred and Barbara, back then Fred and Barbara, were just sitting in our little building that was up in the frontage of this property. You know, when they first came, this is a very, this is a great story. When Fred and Barbara first came to this church, and the first day that they came, they were all excited. They were worshiping, praising the Lord. And they, they went outside to find out that somebody stole their car. And I thought, well, that's it. I'm sorry, we won't see you again. They never stopped coming. That wasn't what was important. What was important was that God had brought them here, not because of anyone. God brought them here to prepare them for ministry, to prepare them to go for 10 years to Mexico to start a fellowship where they could teach and preach the word of God, where people will get saved. And it wasn't easy. It never is. But they answered the call. I've seen it in many others. And again, it isn't because of any of us. We're just, we're just trying to be obedient to what God has called us to do. I'm trying to be obedient here tonight. I, I want to give the word of God faithfully. We oftentimes dig deep. But we have to. The word of God is deep. It's powerful. It's a two-edged sword, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4. We need to know how to handle it. How to live it. How to give it. So now at this point, the Lord himself had a word for the false high priest. So now God, through the prophet Amos, is going to speak to Amaziah. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord, Amos says to Amaziah. Verse 16, by the way. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus saith the Lord. To this, prophet, to this high priest, who is a false high priest, he says... Thy wife shall be a harlot in the city. <laughs> That's a shocking statement. Thy wife shall be a harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land. And Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. And because of Amaziah's op opposition to the prophet of the Lord, a fivefold judgment was to fall on him. The five things that I just read Amaziah would see his wife so destitute that she would become a prostitute and sell her body in order to survive. Times were going to be tough. Secondly, he would also see his children killed by the sword of soldiers. 
Thirdly, he would lose his home and his land. In fact, he would lose his entire estate. He himself would die as an exile in a foreign land. And Amaziah would see his nation Israel conquered and the survivors, the survivors, exiled to the conquering nation. So here was someone who was a priest, albeit a false one, but as a priest, if he had only listened to God's warning and repented of his sins, he might have been saved by the mercy of the Lord. Would you not say that he had the opportunity? He actually heard the prophet. He actually heard the words of Amos. Don't forget, just just go back a couple of chapters to chapter 5. And look at these passages, verses 4 through 6 of chapter 5. Just a page or a half, or a page and a half over. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, If Amos is preaching this in the temple at Bethel, then he had to have heard it. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me. And ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught, come to nothing. Seek the Lord. And ye shall live. Now, now let me ask you a question. Isn't that simple? Isn't that a simple direction? There's nothing complicated about it. Except what might be in the head and in the ears and in the eyes of, of the one receiving the, the, the prophecy. Seek the Lord and you shall live lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it. And there be none to quench it in Bethel. In other words, your gods, your golden calf, has no power over our God, the one true and living God. No power. And then in verses 14 and 15 of that same chapter, he says, seek good and not evil, that you may live. I would venture to say that if you want to see your life changed, simply seek good and not evil. Simply seek the Lord and not anything or anyone else. He's made himself known. There is no doubt and there is no question as to who the Lord truly is. We know him as Jesus. His name is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. He is God as salvation to those who would come and believe in him. That is the simple truth.
He is the one who has relieved the torments of the possessed. To the very extent that when Jesus would cast out the demons of those who were possessed, they would sit completely delivered. And they would sit in their right mind. They would have gone from demonic insanity into heavenly bliss. Knowing that one person who himself claimed to be and always claimed to be I don't know where these cemetery professors and students all, I mean seminary professors and students all think that, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh, yes, he did time and time again, and his name itself proved it. Before Abraham was, I am. That's his name. The I am that I am. Seek good and not evil that, he, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts shall be with you as you have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good. And establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. But sadly, Amaziah chose to reject the Lord's prophet and the warning of coming judgment. And consequently, he was to bear the full weight of God's condemnation. Folks, our God is a holy, righteous, and just God. And his judgment is a sure thing. His judgment is a sure thing. After all has been said and done pertaining to every opportunity that the Lord has given his people to turn away from their wicked ways, there will be no escape for those who refuse to repent of their sins and to turn to the Lord. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 25 would say, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory... And all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And if you jump down to verse 41, it says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed unto everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not made for you and me. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. And yet those who would depart from Christ, those who would reject him, those Goats on the left hand. He would say, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. 
prepared for the devil and his angels. Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. To you who are troubled, rest with us. Now just stop for a moment and think about that statement. You who are troubled. There are a lot of troubled people today. And now again, I don't want to get into the clinical aspect as I was speaking not long ago about about depression and not wanting to look at it from a just a clinical I want, I want to look at it from a biblical standpoint but there are those who are troubled today troubled by the things they see troubled by the things they hear sometimes troubled by you know for, by things from within or something that may have affected them when they were children or something that maybe had been passed down I mean we could talk hours about that particular situation. But I find it interesting that Paul would say very simply to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God. That one verse there tells me that it is highly important for all of us to know God. To know him, not about him, not just about him. Certainly we want to know about him. And there's plenty in the scriptures to tell us about him. And even after going through the scriptures 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times, there's still things to learn about him, right? That's why we keep reading the scriptures. We don't get to the end of this book and say, okay, well, I've read this book. Well, let's go on to some other book. That's the problem in this world today. We need to turn around and read it again because it is living. It is the living word of God for us. It strengthens us. It prepares us. It matures us. It prepares us for the coming of the Lord. He says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's the gospel. Jesus dying on a cross, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, dying, being buried on the third day, rising from the dead. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Obey not, and and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Everybody will have the opportunity for receiving the gospel. Everybody. We might wonder, well, how's God going to do that? I mean, you know, there's 8 billion people on this earth. God created them all. God created the heavens and the earth. I'm sure he knows how he's going to do it. We can trust him in that. He's that big. As a matter of fact, he's bigger than big. That's how great our God is. And as big as he is, he still loves you. And me too. He loves us. 
And he cares for you. So he sent Jesus. Lastly, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I say this as encouragement. Still, it ends with the, the seriousness of judgment. But notice this phrase, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. God will make no mistakes with the sheep and the goats. God will make no mistakes with the just and the unjust. God will make no mistakes with the righteous and the unrighteous. God knows every one of our hearts. In fact, not only where they are now, he knows where they'll be then. So best for us to do what? To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. To love one another as he has loved us. To know him and not just about him. To spend time with the one who wants to have fellowship with us. The one who gave his life so that we could have life everlasting to be with him forever.